It is the 200 level, episode 286. It is a Monday evening, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio, and things are good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Illinois football might be good. How about that? And when I say a blanket statement like that, maybe it needs some more context, but I think Saturday was plenty of context to show you, yeah, Illinois football is just good. And that is something that I'm just not used to. On Saturday's podcast, which was the fourth quarter of the Wisconsin game, and that kind of went into a little bit of a post game. It was about a 50-minute podcast, and I think by the end of it, it finally hit me just how big of a deal that was. And now as I sit here a couple days later, I found myself often on this Monday kind of stopping myself and almost pinching myself thinking, well, what if we're just legit good? The stats would bear that out. The stats would bear out that even if you've had an easy schedule to start things, you've been so dominant against, yes, a weaker schedule that you're probably objectively a good football team. And on one hand, I would say, you know, caution yourselves, Illini fans. This thing could slip away from you in a hurry, but I don't think the schedule necessarily dictates that. I think that this is a schedule that doesn't get a whole heck of a lot harder. So with that in mind, uh, my expectations are pretty much that this team is going to keep rolling with some exceptions. There's going to be a, a blemish here or there. I don't think this team is good enough to avoid that, but I do think the expectations maybe not skyrocket, but certainly are raised after a game like Wisconsin. I said seven and five at the start of the year, and that was kind of predicated on a schedule that I thought was easy to begin with, though not this easy. And that was also predicated on the idea that this Illinois team had some stuff and some things would have to work out for them. You know, they had some talent, but not a lot of depth. I was going a little best case scenario when I said seven and five. Well, I think the best case scenario now is above seven and five. And I don't want to use big numbers here, but God, with this schedule, uh, nine and three is not outside the realm of possibility. I would actually raise my prediction to eight and four based on the schedule. That means three more losses, right? And where those come from, it might be one in the next two. I'd be surprised if you lost both of them. It may be a game like an upstart Michigan State team that maybe figures things out by then, though I feel better about that game. It could be a weird game in Lincoln, Nebraska that feels like it has shades of the Indiana game. A road game that for whatever reason, it just ah, doesn't feel right. And I still have an icky feeling about Lincoln, Nebraska, bad as they've been. And certainly Michigan. So there's going to be blemishes, right? Nine and three would require darn near perfection, assuming you lose at Michigan and one other. Eight and four, though, seems about right. And if you were to tell me going into the season that eight and four were even a possibility, I'd say, I'll take it. I, I certainly would take it. So as I sat here on this Monday in the aftermath of that game on Saturday and the aftermath of Brett Bielema essentially getting his uh, a former protege of his. I forget if Paul Christ was under Bielema. I'm pretty sure he was before he went to Pitt. But they have had a relationship. Essentially, Brett Bielema got Paul Christ fired. And I know that there were other factors at play, but when that news came out yesterday, I, I don't wish ill on Paul Christ. It wasn't about that. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, I cannot deal with Wisconsin sports anymore. They bore me to tears. And for that, I'm happy the way things turned out, but not the personal part of it. Paul Chris seems like a nice guy, but isn't it nice to be on the other end of this where what you did led to the dismissal of another team's coach and not just another team or another football program, a football program that is sort of the model of what you would want to accomplish in the Big Ten West. I don't want to skate over Saturday. You absolutely dominated Wisconsin football. That may as well have been Wisconsin back in the 80s when they stunk. And that is the biggest margin of victory for Illinois against Wisconsin, at Camp Randall at least, since 1988. It makes sense. Pre-Barry Alvarez, that was not a very good football program. There was nothing on the field on Saturday that told me Wisconsin was still a good football program at the moment. And certainly not a good football team, right? Football program that I think their floor is still relatively high. But man, the, the manner in which you went in there and just dismantled a team and a program that's known for sound, fundamental football, that is something we should hang our hats on. Whereas the 2019 Lovey Smith four-game win streak, I know Jeremy and Joey were talking about this in their post-game show, 
And I don't think I mentioned this. Maybe I did mention this when we were kind of doing YouTube Live and all that stuff. That felt kind of fluky. I was excited in the moment of that four-game winning streak, and I thought to myself, hey, if this ends up working with Lovey Smith, great. I'm on board. I may not have been a believer, but if this somehow shakes out and, and he can win consistently, great. I, I, I'm fine. But then the Iowa game and the Northwestern game and then the bowl game against California happened, and there wasn't really any momentum going into 2020 and then COVID and all that stuff. But yeah, that felt fluky. It felt like a novelty. I wouldn't say the same for Zook in the Rose Bowl. That felt like actually a progression when he considered how close they were in 2006 to winning much more than the two games they won. And that you just looked the part in the Rose Bowl season. But 2008, it came to a crashing halt. Now, that's not to say that there's not going to be ebbs and flows in the Bielema era. You lose a lot of guys next year. Maybe you can kind of patch things with Juco's and Transfer Portal. And I think this is going to help you make that sales job. But I also have less of a concern based on the fact that while Ron Zook was iffy and up and down at Florida, we kind of knew what we were getting into. Okay, head coach, but really there for the recruiting. With Brett Bielema, the Big Ten West experience would tell you this guy just knows how to win in this conference and specifically in this division. So Saturday, if we want to call it an arrival game, I don't think that is hyperbole. I don't think it's crazy to say, wait a second, Illinois football doesn't suck anymore. You can start with that. And with Jeremy and Joey talked about that very thing, which I didn't mention Saturday. You can at the very least say Illinois football is not the doormat. That's new, right? I'll take that. And then I think it's okay to take the next step. Based on the domination of these teams, it's okay to take that one next step and say they might just be good. And as I try to search for a title for this podcast, I'm, I'm thinking... You know, something along the lines of good. I don't want to use the word great yet because they may or may not be a great team. But you know what? The possibility is there. And I actually think there is a more than 50% chance that this season ends up in a way where we're looking at each other and saying, whoa, where did this come from? When if we were really think about that question or the answer to that question, we could have seen this coming from last year. The Penn State game was a harbinger of things to come. Felt like maybe a novelty at the time because you lost to Rutgers the next week. Then you won against Minnesota the week after that. And then you lost a game at Iowa that maybe you could have won. And then you smoked Northwestern. And I might be forgetting a win in there somewhere, but regardless, you have won five of your last seven Big Ten games, right? I think that's correct. And in terms of Power 5 competition, the record is similarly good. You are over 500 in the first 17 games for Brett Bielema. First time you can say that for an Illini coach since John Makovic, and that's a name that comes up quite a bit. This is from Illini Brickroll. You can't help but reevaluate the predictions, but even at the game on Saturday, I found I didn't relax until about five minutes left in the game. I, I got to be honest, Brickroll, I, I was not complete opposite, but I did not feel that way at all. I actually felt once it was 21 to 10, I felt like we got this. I, I did. And sure enough, um, they did. And then they took control even more so from there. So here's what we got to talk about today. We'll talk about Saturday. I got the box score and there are just so many statistical anomalies and things that stick out that I think it, it is worth talking about. We'll talk about Saturday. We'll talk about this upcoming Saturday against Iowa night game, a huge opportunity for this team. And then we'll also talk about Paul Chris getting fired, the Big Ten West race as it relates to Illinois, because they are in the thick of it. Before we get ahead of ourselves, I got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com and get a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Again, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so don't let the students being on campus dissuade you. dpdo.com. Also, Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. These guys are the goods. Expert craftsmen, terrific customer service, and they give back to their community as a townie. I appreciate that. Uh, great dudes. We appreciate them. They've been with us for about two and a half years now. So go online and get a free quote today from rectorconstruction.com. Also, got to thank... Dogtown, heating, air, and plumbing. And I told Cody that we had a new copy here. They don't just do heating and air, which is what you might commonly associate them with. They also work on stubborn drains, which as an old 
as a homeowner of an old house, I can relate to this. If you have slower backed up drains, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing can help with their hydro jetting machine. This is some amazing technology. They get rid of any stubborn clog that you may have in your drains. They also offer underground camera inspections for those issues that you just can't see. They offer maintenance agreements for your home's plumbing needs. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728 and let one of their friendly team members come out to your home and do a whole home inspection. Uh, hey, tell them you heard this commercial on the 200 level. Get 10% off. It used to be six because they thought Illinois was going to win six games this year. Maybe they're thinking Illinois is going to win 10. That might be it, or it might just be 10% off. Regardless, it's a great deal, and I can speak from experience. They were great with our furnace check. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. He can be your guy. Uh, Brian may come down and do some of these away game fourth quarter reactions. He mentioned that at the last tailgate. I hope to see him on Saturday at the Iowa tailgate. And I can say, having worked with him for a couple years now, Makes insurance as easy as it could possibly be, and we trust him with all that stuff. And you can trust him too. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Uh, real quick, we are looking to get Jeremy Werner on the show on Wednesday, and it would be Wednesday afternoon. I'm going to try to work on a time with him. We have one, but he is a busy guy. I think before he would hop on with us, he has a 670 the score uh, radio drop. So the good news is he's probably even busier because Illinois is good. And that I think that's the Lawrence Holmes and Dan Bernstein show. I would love to talk to Dan Bernstein. I did back in the day. I called Bernstein or Boris and Bernstein after Illinois lost to Kansas in the O2 tournament. And Frank did not have a good game. But as a young Illini fan, I felt compelled to defend Frank Williams. And they they treated me with kid gloves. God bless them. Boris and Bernstein was a very formative show for me. And I still enjoy listening to them, especially after the Bears suck up as much as they do, like the, against the Giants yesterday. So we'll get Jeremy on the show on Wednesday is what it sounds like. And we will get the live feed and all that for anyone that wants to play hooky at work. You can tune in about one o'clock Wednesday is the tentative schedule for that. Hey, if you can rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, that's a huge help as well. And we appreciate all those who have done so. Hello to the YouTube live feed. I know it's a Monday evening, so uh, I appreciate anybody that decided to spend a little bit of time with us here on uh, on a Monday evening when you could be watching great network television programming or catching up on reruns of The Equalizer like I know Isaac Ambrose and Trevor Valise are doing. I want to pull the box score from Saturday's game against Wisconsin. And you know some of these numbers because some of them just stood out so much that they're kind of ingrained in our head. I want to start with some individual stats. And Tommy DeVito is someone that I've been pretty high on since game one against Wyoming. If there's such a thing as looking the part, I think that Tommy qualifies for that. I I sense a poise and kind of an awareness from him in the pocket that we haven't had in a while. When there's pressure, I don't kind of clench up like I used to when it was a Brandon Peters or, God forbid, a Wes Lunt. And I'm just amazed, though, that on top of all this, I figured this guy was going to be kind of a gunslinger that could stretch the field a little bit. I did not anticipate he'd be throwing damn near 70% accuracy. 18 for 24 for 167 yards, 7 yards per completion, so nothing gaudy. But boy, when you needed to move the sticks, he did. I mentioned on Saturday that I thought the play of the game, in many ways, was the fourth and four where you converted on an out to Isaiah Williams. It was a really like hitch pattern. He worked his way loose on man-to-man coverage. And it was an easy little out pattern in some ways. But in other ways, I've seen so many Illinois quarterbacks either miss that throw or the wide receiver not make the catch in crucial situations. And Illinois, very calmly and coolly, Brett Bielema says, we're going for it. It was too long for a field goal. We're going for it on fourth and four, and they execute it like pros. And I, I was so happy. And at that moment, you know what, Brick Girl? You mentioned that it took until five minutes left in the game to relax. Even though Illinois didn't score for another few plays, I think at that fourth and four when they converted, because that was the first drive of the second half. At that moment, I said, I, I think we're going to win. They, they're ready to go. They're going to do this. So uh, Alana Brickroll, if I think about it, out of all the completions that DeVito had, I love the back shoulder completions to Pat Bryant. It sounds like Bryant is okay. So you can rest easy, Alani fans. But DeVito, whether it be an intermediate route or occasionally stretching the field, just ecstatic with what I'm seeing from him. And whatever swagger I know Jeremy was alluding to a lot in the preseason, we're seeing that 
on the field, and you need that from a quarterback. So I am uh, over the moon with Tommy DeVito. I am a huge fan of his. Okay, elsewhere, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Alani Brickwell mentions that you wanted to be optimistic during that game, but you've been disappointed before. I've been trying to detach myself from that, Brick Girl, where, yes, my, my intuition tells me, like for Saturday against Iowa, be afraid, be very afraid. We've been down this road before where we get excited and then the rug gets pulled out from under us. And I understand that intuition and that kind of gravitational pull towards Murphy's Law. It's Illinois football. Bad things are going to happen. I really am adopting this. I'm going to try at least. And I, I failed after the Indiana game. I'm going to try to adopt the mindset that, okay, you got the coaching staff that I think right now is second to none in the Big Ten West. Of course, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I really do think it is. And I'm going to trust them. And a relatively experienced roster. I'm going to trust these guys to not have those same letdowns as we've seen before. All right. Hi, T. Scott. And uh, Stephen Colbert says it's the hope that kills you. Often, Stephen Colbert, you are correct. After the Indiana game, I was just absolutely despondent because my hope after the Wyoming game was we are not going to drop games that we shouldn't, and this team is going to win seven games. And after Indiana, I just wasn't so sure about that. Well, I'm pretty certain, guys, that this team will get to seven wins and uh, perhaps even more. Okay, I mentioned DeVito's stats. I want to get back to some of these box score numbers that really stood out to me. Chase Brown, granted, got 49 yards on the long touchdown carry. But even if you take that out, he would have still had 80 yards on 24 carries. This shows a commitment to the run in a game where early on you were not getting much in the running game, and certainly Wisconsin wasn't either. But that is a far cry from last year against Wisconsin where you saw Tony Peterson abandon it very, very quickly. And then it just became the Art Sitkowski show. And that's, no offense to Art, that's just not what you need against uh, Wisconsin defense. The balance. Just the fact that you kept running the ball had to have made things easy for the pass, easier for the passing game. Chase Brown is special. You know, they talked on the broadcast, Anthony Heron did, about the vision and the patience, and you see that from him, but you also see the burst. He is truly a dynamic back that has the IQ of a great running back, but also the physical specimen and just the, the raw skill and speed. He's fast. That breakaway run. I mean, no one was catching him. And uh, that, that to me is super impressive. I hope he finds a home in the NFL. I don't know if he's undersized technically or maybe the measurables won't get him drafted early, but he, he is special. I thought Reggie Love had some good carries in that third or fourth quarter. He had 16 yards on six carries, but there was one in particular that I thought, that's some nice burst there. I think it converted a first down. Tommy DeVito, seven carries for negative two yards because that includes sacks, but three touchdowns. So... I'm not going to complain. The quarterback sack was very effective. I'm glad that Lonnie kind of learned from the Indiana game. And it did take a pass interference from Wisconsin in that first quarter to give you the opportunity for the first QB sneak. On the fourth down, the pass interference in the corner. But you know what? You make your own break sometimes. I don't love the fade pattern, but while it is incomplete a lot, sometimes it can be a touchdown and it's rarely an interception and occasionally it is a pass interference. So I've seen worse goal line calls and then your quarterback sneaked it. Brian Hightower was very, very reliable. Five receptions for 59 yards. You can trust him when you need a first down. Pat Bryant, really all these I felt like came in the third quarter. Four receptions for 51 yards. The back shoulder catches were awesome. Isaiah Williams, seven receptions for 31 yards. Hey, they're feeding him. And occasionally it'll break like the Wyoming game. So I like it. Keep at it. How about Michael Marquese? Story of the year as far as an, uh, kind of an unknown commodity or one that we don't talk about. Think of all the touchdown receptions he's had. And then he has the recovery on the fumble and the kickoff. So he's been just having a hell of a... I think he's a six-year guy. Chase Brown got a reception for six yards. Uh, let's see here. Defensively, uh, boy, total tackles. Quan Martin leading that with seven. Taz Nicholson was six. So you're seeing the secondary being very active tackling. A lot of that has to do with Wisconsin late in the game having to throw it. Um, just balance as I go down this list. Just a ton of balance. Sacks here. We had one from Quan Martin, one from Keith Randolph, one from Isaac Darkangelo, one from Tara Edwards, one from Bryant. My first name escapes me. It starts with A. And uh, that was five total. I felt like there were six that I counted during the game, but it's five. That's pretty good. And a lot more hurries. Illinois interceptions, he had Kendall Smith with one, and oh boy, I just lost that sheet. So uh, regardless, he had two, and that's two very consequential ones as well. 
So those are just some of the stats. And as I pull up the team stats in a bit, I can say one right off the top of my head that, of course, really tells the tale of the game. Two total rushing yards for Wisconsin. And you can't say that enough, I don't think. It is just absolutely a banana stat when you consider what Wisconsin is known for and what they would have went into that game wanting to do. From the outset, they wanted to run the ball, and we just weren't having it. And in a way, I was texting Isaac and Trevor during that first quarter when Wisconsin took the 7 nothing lead. And, you know, I was disheartened, of course, as we all were, that they scored so quickly. A bad kick did not help matters, but you still let them go down 50-plus yards with relative ease passing. But every time they ran it on that drive, you stuffed them. And I thought, well, if there was a positive to take away, you appear to be able to stop the run. If that can continue, maybe Mertz will make mistakes. And sure enough, he did. First downs, Illinois 19, Wisconsin 12. Third down efficiency, this surprises me because it didn't feel that way. Three for 13 for Illinois. Maybe they just weren't getting to quite as many third downs. 13 third downs total versus 19 first downs. That tells you, let's see, if they converted three of 13 third downs, that means the other, that means 16 of Illinois' 19 first downs, if this makes sense. 16 of their 19 first downs came during a first or second down play. They weren't even getting to third down all that much. So in that way, the third down efficiency doesn't bother me. One for two on fourth down for Illinois, and the one, of course, my favorite play of the game, the fourth and four to Isaiah Williams. Wisconsin, 12 first downs total for the game. Total yardage, Illinois 304, Wisconsin 208. If you don't include that last drive or two where Wisconsin was just launching it up there. I mean, what was Wisconsin at? 140 in the fourth quarter? I think you outgained them 163 to 2 or something outrageous or 103 to 2 in that third quarter, something crazy. Passing 167 for Illinois, 206 for Wisconsin, but much less efficient for them. Rushing 137 for Illinois is almost as impressive as only giving up two to Wisconsin, knowing that Wisconsin is able to stop the run. Now, the penalties, a bugaboo perhaps, eight for Illinois for 75 yards, 10 for Wisconsin for 78, yikes, and a lot more consequential ones, I think, for Wisconsin. But time of possession, which is always one of my favorites, despite the pace with which Barry Lunny sometimes likes to play, you see that he also mixes up paces and is not always in a hurry. He was not in a hurry against Wisconsin. I thought the momentum and the pace of that offense was great in the second and third quarter especially. And you had the ball for 33 minutes and 59 seconds, essentially 34 minutes of the game. That will win you more often than not. That, that will win more games than you'll lose, I should say, by controlling the ball with an offense that's as balanced as what Illinois has. I look at this, and it's just a beautiful box score, apart from the penalties, perhaps, and if you looked up maybe kickoff average and the, the couple of good returns that Wisconsin had, that's the only thing I can point at and say, that's not good. No turnovers. That's another big step against a defense that is like, like Iowa. And in a minute, I'm going to get to Iowa because I understand why there should be some leeriness facing a defense like that, a defense that has scored a bunch this year. In fact, I think a couple of their defensive backs are third on the team for touchdowns scored, which is good news for their defense, but terrible for their offense. But I also think that Iowa is essentially a repeat of what you just played in many ways. And while Spencer Petras, uh, I don't think he's any better than Graham Mertz, for sure. And their running game is much worse than Wisconsin's. You know, and trying to think how we can translate what happened Saturday to this coming Saturday, I think I can only take positive things. The mental aspect some might be worried about. Is there a hangover effect? Do you have, in that locker room, maybe they're feeling themselves a little too much. I mentioned earlier, this is an older locker room. This is a coaching staff that I trust. I don't worry so much about falling into the trap of, oh, we got this. That would lead to some sort of you know lackadaisical play or thinking they can just walk out there and beat Iowa. They lost to Iowa last year. I think in most games that they lost last year, they're going in with a mental edge already because clearly Bielema has imparted on this team. This is a revenge tour where he uses revenge or he uses rematch a lot. And they're two up, two down against Virginia and against Wisconsin. And not only did you win those rematches, you completely flipped the scores in both of them. That is nuts. The improvement in one year, in less than a year, to be able to just completely reverse the results. And keep in mind, last year you were a game away from going to a bowl. You weren't that far away, right? And there were a couple games that Purdue, Maryland, maybe you should have won. Rutgers, even you could argue. And you didn't. And I'll... 
chalk that up to first year um, transitional phase. But God dang, if you aren't ahead of schedule right here, you are dominating the teams that you should. And then the Wisconsin game opened my eyes to make me think you can dominate teams that may not be great, but they certainly aren't bad in terms of talent and pedigree. Iowa, to me, falls in that same sort of camp. Now, as I look at Iowa and, and think about this game coming up on Saturday, I found this Iowa football mailbag from hawkcentral.com. I think that's the Iowa City newspaper up there, and it's their sports section. This is from uh, Dargan Southard, I think. Sorry, uh, Dargan from Hawk Central. And I'm going to read this article because he has a little preamble, and then he takes three questions from... Uh, readers or fans, whatever you want to call them. And I think it speaks to where Iowa fans are feeling. And to me, the similarities between where Iowa football is at this week, it's right there with how Wisconsin was entering the Illinois game last week. For all the hope that Iowa's last two performance would generate some sort of offensive awakening, number four Michigan shut that down. Spencer Petrus and company again sputtered in Iowa's 27-14 loss on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. On the flip side... The Hawkeyes' defense finally showed cracks against an elite foe and couldn't offset the offense's overarching futility. It's a frustrating time to be an Iowa football fan, no doubt. Quotes of growth and progress amid disappointment can easily be tuned out when the results on the field are not overwhelming. This Hawkeye season may still finish with decent moments, but the improvement needed to reach those seems immense. With that, let's dive into Saturday's post-game mailbag. So, three questions we got here from Iowa fans that Dragon. Dargan Southard answers for HawkCentral.com. First question from a reader. How can Kirk Ferentz say he saw growth Saturday from the Iowa offense? A veteran coach like Ferentz, is it Ferentz or Ferentz? How do you guys say it? Isn't going to blast his offense at the mic, even if Iowa football fans everywhere would probably like to. And while some teams may respond well to be called out on a widespread platform, it doesn't feel like the Hawkeyes fall in that category. Still, after a day in which Iowa's offense mustered just one point five yards per carry and one scoring drive until the waning seconds with the game out of reach. It's reasonable to question if Ference's words are anything but monotonous coach speak. Yes, the offense has improved from its disastrous first two games where simple first downs were tough to find, but there is still a long way to go before this unit isn't a liability week in and week out. I want to add something to that little caveat. The first week where they got seven points, the defense outscored the offense with two safeties to the field goal that the offense scored. I guess what, North Dakota? Something like that. It's everything kind of coming together, Ferentz said. I think we're getting better up front. At least my that's my assessment after Saturday's loss. I haven't seen the film. I think we've got good backs that are doing a pretty good job. Yada, yada, yada. He gets that. I'm not discouraged by your guys. In fact, I'm encouraged by some of the things I'm seeing, but we're going to have to keep moving and obviously have to get better. The uh, writer here says the last sentence carries more weight than the previous ones. Eesh. All right, question two from one of their mailbag readers. Is it unfair to criticize Iowa's defense for Saturday's performance? Before we dive into this question, let's just say this first. Iowa's defensive performance Saturday was good enough to win in an alternate universe. There won't be many other teams that hold Michigan to under 30 this year. That may be true. But because the Hawkeyes' defense is paired with the offensive counterpart it has and the point-scoring expectation, or lack thereof, for Iowa is well-defined, Bill Parker's unit must know that each one is probably going to require a near flawless effort. Is that a fair situation? Not really, but it's reality right now. And a no turnover showing with several long scoring drives surrendered isn't going to cut it. Michigan set the tone early with an 11 play 75 yard scoring drive on its first possession. One that saw the Wolverines face only one third down and it was third and one. That level of dominance didn't permeate the entire four quarters, but the opening drive let Iowa's defense know early that Michigan wasn't going to mess around and taking control. To the Hawkeyes' credit, they tightened up to force two first-half field goals that could have been in-zone celebrations early. However, for a unit that operates with a they-don't-score-they-don't-win mindset and has repeatedly said as much, Saturday wasn't the required showing for a massive upset. One more question here. And this is from an Iowa rider, keep in mind. Considering how much the Big Ten West seems up for grabs, what chance does Iowa have at still winning the division? Well, if you're catching up on uh, Saturday scores, two from the Big Ten West jump out. Purdue 20, Minnesota 10, Illinois 34, Wisconsin 10. The Golden Gophers appeared to, appeared to be the most complete team in the division until a complete flop against a hobbled Purdue squad. Just as fascinating as Wisconsin's spiral is Illinois' rise under Brett Bielema. Nebraska and Northwestern continue to be the messes that they are. I like this guy's just 
brutal honesty. He doesn't mince words. All that to say on paper, Iowa is still very much in the division race. It doesn't appear any one team is going to be able to run away with it. It's not outrageous to think the West Division winner will head to Indianapolis with at least three conference losses. I think that's fair. That said, Iowa must make massive improvements in the games ahead to even enter November with a realistic chance at repeating as division champs. Simply put, other teams in the West are playing better. If we're penciling in October 22nd at Ohio State as a loss, which you should, the Hawkeyes can probably only afford to drop one more out of Illinois, uh, Northwestern, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Those are a a bunch of flawed teams, but so is Iowa, and the Hawkeyes' current offensive product isn't good enough to navigate through all that without stumbling at least a couple times. In addition, who Iowa beats is just as important. It could be a tiebreaker situation later this fall. Bottom line, Iowa is still in the West Hunt, but substantial work remains. Yeah, they're, they're in the hunt. Minnesota's in the hunt. Purdue's in the hunt. Illinois is in the hunt. Technically, everybody is. But he makes a good point there. And when you look at what teams are playing better, what I said before the Wisconsin game is, historically, you would look at Illinois, Iowa and say, oh boy. Historically, you would look at Illinois, Wisconsin and you would shudder. But if you just look at this season and how these teams are playing, it's not really all that close. Iowa's defense has been dominant. I do wonder how long can they stand being out on the field for 38 to 40 minutes a game behind an offense that can't even get first downs before they start to crack. And maybe the cracks began to show against Michigan. Listen, Michigan's better than Illinois. I I can say that. I think the game is going to be competitive in Ann Arbor in November, at least for a while. But Michigan might be a national title contender. I don't think Illinois is. But I do think Illinois is like top 25 caliber team. And there's nothing that we've seen from Iowa thus far to indicate that they are. Defense aside, We've seen this before. Go back to 2011 with a great Illini defense. And even if it's not on par with this Iowa defense, you saw as that second half of the season wore on, what happens when you continually rely on the defense to either get the points for you or to keep the opposing team from not scoring more than, I don't know, 13, 17 points a game. It's not realistic. And whereas the Rutgers game showed that Iowa can score plenty on defense, Gosh darn, if you just protect the ball and have a balanced offensive attack, you'll get more points than them, right? I'm not going to sit here. No, I am going to make my prediction right now. I mean, Wednesday I'll have Jeremy on the show and we'll talk and I'll I'll reiterate it. But I've been thinking about this. This Illinois-Iowa game, you know, to me it's a, I think it's going to be like a 24 to 13 Illinois win. You know, this idea that Illinois is just not going to score against Iowa. Well, find one game where Illinois' offense hasn't been able to move the ball. And then he could follow that up and say, well, Carp, there's been games where they have not closed out drives. And that is true. But to me, that's where the Wisconsin game, if there's really significant progression, it's the fact that they closed out those drives against a Wisconsin team that, for all intents and purposes, should have been desperate and needed that game really more than Illinois. I mean, my God, a lot of their coach getting fired. So to me, I, I think... I understand why Vegas has it at three and a half points. I think that's fair because to me, I could see a situation where Illinois wins by three. You know, a, a 20 to 17 game that, ooh, you're puckering up throughout because you know that one mistake on offense, they can take it to the house. I can see a situation where you get to halftime and you're only up six to three or something like that. And, ooh, the, the natives get a little bit restless and you start thinking, oh, God, you know, just don't screw this up, guys. I can see that. And, and I could see maybe some additional pressure on this team. But on the other hand, I'm going to go with what they've shown us so far this year in the two rematch games, the games that they felt they got embarrassed last year. And then the Iowa game last year where I got to think the guys on this team recognize that as a totally missed opportunity last year. They were up 10 to nothing. And then they just didn't do a darn thing offensively after that. And the defense could only keep them in it for so long. They have some real things out in front of them, and I, I would love to be a fly on the wall to see if uh, Bielema is talking to them about you know Big Ten West implications and things like that. I, I imagine that this is a game-to-game sort of thing, and they wouldn't broach that until after these next two games. But when it comes to the Iowa and Minnesota games, I think there's better than a 50% chance that Illinois wins both. And if that is the case, then, oh my God, you are in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West crown. So I'm not going to broach that myself until after the Minnesota game. 
but rest assured, I want to. <laughs> and, you know, listen, we can do that. As fans and as commentators, media folk, we can talk about the Big Ten West crown. We are not in the locker room. We don't need to follow this game at a time mantra. I, I know looking at the schedule, I like it more and more. And I do think that there's not a game other than Michigan, necessarily, where you're going to walk into it as an underdog. I don't know if that's going to happen. If you win on Saturday, you won't be an underdog against Minnesota. And maybe even if you lose on Saturday, you won't be an underdog against Minnesota. You won't be at Nebraska, though I think the spread will be oddly close, enough to make you uncomfortable. Purdue at home, right? Is that November 5th? Or no, Michigan State is November 5th at home. they, They stink right now. You'll probably be favored. Purdue at home, same thing. On the road against Michigan, of course not. But I could see that being a spread around like 10 and a half. Something like that. And then finally, Northwestern at the end of the year. You are not going to be underdogs in that. What a far cry. You know, on Saturday, I was texting a friend, and he is married to a Badgers fan, but me and him will joke around about, God, we hate Wisconsin. And him and his wife have a relationship where they can give each other crap. And I've even sat at Illinois-Wisconsin games with them before, and it's hilarious because they really do go at each other. And, you know, me and my friend know that Illinois historically has been bad, so we do it somewhat tongue-in-cheek when we make fun of Wisconsin football, knowing we don't have a leg to stand on. But he had texted me before that game and said, isn't it amazing that we're even in the position in year two of Brett Bielma waking up on a Saturday and thinking, yeah, I think we got a shot here. I I think we got this game. Because I even texted him and I texted other friends saying, am I crazy to think this? Am I crazy to think that Illinois is going to beat Wisconsin? And most of them are like, no, no, we, we got a shot. And just that alone, if you really just take that notion of waking up on a Saturday morning, the first day of October and the second year of Brett Bielema, that you feel good about a game against Wisconsin, that is progress alone. And then winning it, even more progress. And then dominating it. It's hard to top that. Uh, Let's see if I can't get a little bit here from Brett Bielema. Opening statement. A lot of good things came out from Saturday. Josh McRae continues to go forward. I know he did really well on Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, Let's see here. A lot of guys getting better. Pat Bryan, Isaiah, Alex Palchewski, Tommy DeVito, Chase Brown, all are offensive uh, MVPs. He talks about Pat Bryant looking good. He mentions recruiting. Uh, Bielema says, this affects recruiting. I can call a transfer guard and talk to talk about a guy I got in January, and we took him to 360 to 330, and he's playing in a way that a year from now, he's probably going to make an NFL college decision. Always recruiting, Brett Bielema. Always recruiting. Uh, yeah, he does clarify. Pat could have gone Saturday. I think he realized when we were up 24 points, uh, you didn't really need to. That's good. Are there unique things about facing a team like Iowa that has such an established identity? Brett Bielema says, it's something to just think about in longevity. I wasn't really recruited by Hayden Fry, but I like to say that. I arrived on campus when Hayden Fry was there. I was with him when uh, he was able to... I was Sorry, I was with him then. I was able to be with Kirk Ferentz and Phil Parker, the D coordinator. We sat in that defensive meeting room over on our side. Norm Parker, across from us. All these Parkers, man. It's just an institution up there. Uh, the DNA might be there, but the look may change week to week, and we've got to be ready for that. Okay, Bielema was asked this. You've had a couple of days to reflect on going into Wisconsin and winning. What's going on through your head? Bielema said, Wisconsin's behind us. I understand the news that happened. I reached out to Paul Chris this morning and had a conversation with him. It's just probably a realization in today's world of college football. You never truly know the moment that you're living in. For us, we turned the page on Wisconsin Sunday, and that includes me. I did share with the team last night, everybody wants to make a big deal of my history at Wisconsin. I probably have more history at Iowa. I was a player there. I was a graduate assistant there. I got my first coaching job there. I was part of two staffs there. I was part of the staff that's there now. I think I actually probably have more history because it's a little bit different look at Iowa, but that doesn't factor in anything. I got the tattoo, the famous tattoo of a tiger hawk. It's a hell of an idea when you're 19. That's just part of it. I think our guys were into the moment, but I quickly asked them to turn the page yesterday. We specifically put the game to bed. Offense, defense, special teams. We had a team meeting on the front end that I talked about the game that we played. We watched the film. We came back in and I introduced the Iowa schedule and what we're going to do this week. And then we went into a meeting about Iowa, had our victory meal. Today's off Tuesday and on-field prep. Now, that right there is a lot of coachy speak understandably, and you're going to get that after a big win. You're going to downplay that. But I actually have trust that whatever they said on Sunday, they said Saturday when you get back in town, guys, go have a good time. Listen, you deserve to celebrate this, and I'm sure they did. I can actually visualize them on Sunday very quickly putting that to bed. I think the coaches especially realize the opportunity that's in front of them, 
and in trying to impart that to these players, it is a balancing act between, yeah, embrace the success that you've had, but the mission is still in front of us. I think there's value in not being ranked yet. I think there's value in only being a three-point favorite, which I think went up to three and a half. I think there's all these little things that show you nationally, yeah, maybe a couple of eyes turned your way, but you don't have true respect yet. And as long as this team can play with that chip on their shoulder, and I think at the very least they can in the next two weeks, then I think they have a very good opportunity to win the next two. So I made my prediction, 24 to 13 Illinois on Saturday. Maybe it's 20 to 17. I, I know predictions are kind of funny. I mean, I said 24 to 20 against Wisconsin, which is a very standard score for a low-scoring, run-heavy game. Would not have thought 34 to 10. Would not have thought Illinois would outscore them 34 to 3 after the opening possession. But that's how it shook out. Could something like that happen against Iowa at home? Yes. Yes, it could. It's not crazy to think about that. Illinois has been great at home so far. They played fantastic at home. And it will be a good crowd. I don't know what the attendance will be. I imagine around 45,000. I was waiting today for like a ticket sale to be announced, so that did not happen. Seems like they're standing pat with the $75 tickets. I understand why some people would look at that and scoff as someone that goes to a bunch of concerts. 75 bucks to me is like, hey, whatever. If you want to be in the stadium, that seems fair for the biggest home game since. They don't want to cheapen their product, though I wouldn't mind seeing a push, especially for student tickets. Just, just get them in. Get a bunch of drunk students in there on a Saturday night. Uh, make that atmosphere as good as you can because whoever's there, it's going to be electric, right? It will be. It certainly won't be a sellout, but it will be electric for the 45,000, let's say, that are there. Where you're orange. This is something I did not expect to blow up on Twitter. I just said that I was having a harder time finding like outerwear, orange, you know, heavier stuff because it will be in the mid to low 40s during the game. And at the Chattanooga game, it got chilly pretty quick and it was warmer that day than it will be on Saturday. I love this time of year, but it's uh, the timing for, uh, you know, paint the stadium orange game. If this were a day game, it would have helped. Night game, it gets chilly. But man, oh man, if that didn't piss a lot of people off. Um, <laughs> or I don't know if that pissed people off, but they were like, you, what? Okay, if it sounded like I was playing the world's, you know, smallest violin, I don't have any orange. I understand why people would react the way they did, but it was kind of a funny case study in how I thought it was a completely innocuous thing about what am I going to wear? And full disclosure, I am a Nike brand whore, for lack of a better term. Yikes. I've never said whore on this podcast, but there you go. First time for everything. I am. I love wearing Nike stuff. And boy, did we get the short end of the stick when it comes to Nike stuff for Illini fans. Nothing orange. I went to game day, actually, Saturday after the game to see what I could get. Nothing orange. You know, a few standard hoodies, but really not a lot. So I thought, man, DIA, like, if it's paint the hall or paint the stadium orange, Ah, God, like even just a long sleeve commemorative T-shirt or something to give away for cheap. Um, Yes, I'm sorry, Twitter world. I didn't mean to piss you off. What's always funny on Twitter, too, is occasionally getting the snarky tweet from someone you actually know. I got one from this guy that I'd, I'd worked with selling ads back in the day, and we had plenty of pleasant interactions and my question on Twitter was, uh, you know, am I the only one that, that's thinking this? And he said, yeah, you're the only one, you know, in, in all lowercase. And it felt it felt snarky, though. I'm reading kind of interpreting tone there. And it's like, dude, I know you. Why are you responding so snarkily to me on Twitter? Jesus. Uh, but yes, I got something orange. I wasn't going to be that fan to not wear orange. I'll make it work. I love wearing orange. I just wish there was more orange stuff that we could buy other than the uh, Ty Rogers jersey I'm going to buy before basketball season begins because I, I will uh, I will get that. Alani Brickle, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I too thought, Alani Brickle, that it was a totally valid question. So did Trevor, and I don't think Trevor would uh, would just blow smoke up my butt. I, I, I was just innocuous. It truly was. Truthfully Speaking says, you know it's an exciting time when Carp gives us a podcast on a Monday night. Hell yeah. Uh, sometimes I would wait until a Tuesday or Wednesday to make it a midweek thing. I had to get back on here and talk about what we saw and what I think we're going to see. This is a, an exciting time because unlike many previous big wins, let's say, this feels like it has staying power. And yes, Carp, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me a million times. We've been down this road before in some ways, but I do think that with this coaching staff, history would suggest this is not some sort of 
one-off novelty thing. And it takes a lot. It will still take good luck. And it will still take, uh, you know, when you lose a Ryan Walters inevitably, getting another good D coordinator. And maybe you lose Barry Lunny Jr. But if you can get in that position where you're losing coordinators to head coaching jobs, that means you're doing it right. And when you got a head guy like Bielema that has the experience he does, I, I just have less concerns. Uh, yeah, this is Stephen Colbert, 27. I prefer Navy, personally. I got plenty of Navy like heavier stuff. And I got plenty of orange t-shirts, but I just didn't have any outerwear, but I got it. I figured it out. And uh, yeah, orange fleece, a lot of brick roll. I had one. I had a Nike orange thing that's somewhere, but I can't find that damn thing. So I guess part of it's my own fault for not saving anything, but we'll make it work. It's going to be a hell of a day. On Saturday, I'll be in lot 31 around the 50 yard line with an Illini, orange Illini and green Spartans flag. That's for my wife. You know, we, we fly next to each other and that'll be all the cooler when the Spartans come to town. So if you want to come say hi, I know a few people did during the Virginia game last time. Uh, seeing if I missed anything here, a couple things, one from Stephen Colbert, 27 per college football numbers, a Twitter account, Illinois has given up 60 fewer points than expected. And scored 15 more. It signals improvement on both sides of the ball. And you know what? If we take that one step further, Stephen Colbert, maybe the real Stephen Colbert, who knows? Post-tape uh, tape your show already in New York. This has been domination. And the Indiana, excuse me, the Indiana game is the aberration. You lost that. But part of the frustration with that is as we watched it, we knew who the better team was. That That made me just so angry and it bothered me all weekend. And the key is this. When you have a moment like that, how do you respond? And holy crap has this team responded. Virginia was next. Chattanooga after that. Wisconsin now. You've given up a grand total of one touchdown. And that one touchdown in those three games was in the first possession for Wisconsin, after which the defense seemingly said, nah, enough of that. Yeah, domination. And an offense that's pretty good. I really like this offense. It's such a weird thing compared to last year to watch this offense and expect that they're going to move the ball. And now I expect them to finish off drives. And if that's what they do the rest of the year, you're going to win a lot of games. You are. Because that defense is not going anywhere. With that D-line specifically and the secondary doing what they can, uh, the the D-line just changed everything for me. I really harped on that Saturday, and I think it bears repeating. They should... They shut down the run game, and they got to the quarterback. I mean, that's all you ask of a D-line, and they did it very well. So I think the reasons to be excited are all around. There is a reason, truthfully speaking, why I decided let's do the Monday pod. We'll be back Wednesday with Jeremy Warner, so I'm excited. We'll be right here in the studio. He'll have a mic. I'll have a mic. We'll be live on YouTube that afternoon if you want to watch that. Which joke is that, Stephen Colbert? I do. I'm sorry. The one about, oh, it could be the real Stephen Colbert. It's a dad joke. And I'm not a dad unless you count being a dog dad, being a dad. I think, Stephen Colbert, that for me, that is the sixth grade teacher that is sort of embracing the, hi, I'm the 35-year-old teacher. Here's my lame joke of the day. So there you go. I I know. I, I do need some more material, though. want to thank you guys on YouTube Live for tuning in on this um, Monday evening. I, I know there's plenty of other things you could be doing. We have over 100 s- subscribers now on YouTube. So we're building that. And that's pretty cool after the 150 or so we got on Twitch. And I, I think a lot of you guys are coming over. So we appreciate that. This makes it easier to just upload it immediately afterwards. I want to thank Alana Inquirer and Champagne Showers Podcast Network for being partners with the 200 level. Got to thank our sponsors, of course, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com, hopefully another celebratory calzone, because guess what? They are open late. So Saturday when you're parched and, and you need some food after all that booze you drank, I will say there's fewer things. Sober, it tastes great. Drunk, even better, like most food. But it, it was the ultimate go-to after bars kind of food for us in college. But unlike, let's say, a uh, what was some of the cheap pizza? One World Pizza. Campus people from the mid-2000s will remember One World Pizza. Stuff was garbage. DP Doe is not. So that's your celebratory calzone late night Saturday snack um, after Illinois beats Iowa. dpdoe.com. Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com for all your home exterior projects. Get a free quote today at rectorconstruction.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Not just heating and air, but plumbing. And they will get rid of any stubborn clog in any drain for an old homeowner or a homeowner of an old house. I'm not that old. Uh, we're going to use them sometime because I can already tell one of our drains is going to look clogged up. Give them a call today at 217-841-4720. 
28. And State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well. I'm happy. Illinois football's good. My allergies are going down, so I'm not sniffling, sniffling into the microphone every two seconds. YouTube friends, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday afternoon with Jeremy Warner. Be good to have him down in the basement. I'm not going to do a post game on Saturday. I, I, I trust myself to be semi-coherent, but I'm finding a way for not having to drive or anything. So if Illinois wins, I've, I've even thought, man, if Illinois wins, I just want to walk to Cam's. What the hell? Just why not? Or walk to Illini Inn and just see what it's like to be in a crowded-ass campus bar after a big primetime win. Because uh, it's been a while. And anyway, we can soak it up on Saturday from the full-day tailgate to the game itself and then hopefully the aftermath. Um, it's going to be a special day. And I hope that this week has that great kind of buildup that these big games tend to have. The entire week, you kind of ride that buzz. I am already and will be the rest of the week. And that it's capped off with another exciting and perhaps dominating Illinois performance. And the way they're playing, I wouldn't put it past them. I really do think there's an opportunity for them to just uh, lay down the hammer against a very vulnerable Iowa team. So let's have some fun, right? Let's go 5-1. and one. Let's kick some ass. We owe them for the Rose Bowl year when we were 5-1, and one, went to Iowa City, sleepy-ass game on a cloudy, kind of wet day. Eddie McGee damn near brought you back because juice was ineffective. And then there was an ineligible man downfield call on what would have been the go-ahead touchdown. I hate to remind myself about that, but Brett Bielma, if you're listening, we owe them not just for last year, but the Rose Bowl year as well. And really for the last 15 years. I'm sick and tired of losing to Iowa. And it's time to exercise those demons. All right, everybody. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. We will see you Wednesday with Jeremy Warner here on the podcast. I'm feeling good, and I hope you are too. It is the 200 level.